0: Welcome to the Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winchet Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic.
1: And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter for the Republic.
0: In today's episode, we're talking about how reporting from this podcast and the Arizona Republic help foreshadow the results of the 2020 election.
1: So for your listening pleasure, here are five times the gaggle nailed it.
0: For the first time in 24 years, Arizona's electoral votes, all 11 of them, went to a Democratic presidential candidate. This hasn't happened since 1996, when Bill Clinton ran for his second term.
1: Arizona also elected Democrat Mark Kelly to the U.S. Senate. The state will now have a pair of Democratic senators in the upper chamber for the first time since 1953.
0: Voters also kept the legislature in Republican control, underscoring Arizona's status as a truly purple state. If you've been listening to the gaggle, this year's election results shouldn't really come as a huge surprise. Here's the first reason— We broke down both parties' strategies and how confidently each felt about them.
1: In 2016, Donald Trump won Arizona by three and a half percentage points. That was the worst showing for a Republican candidate in this state since 1996 when Bob Dole lost it to Bill Clinton. The Democrats also showed surprising strength in statewide races. Kirsten Sinema won the state's Senate race, and three other Democrats won statewide office, something they hadn't done in a decade. It left both parties eager to see what would happen in 2020.
0: Back in February, before the pandemic really took hold of the state, we looked into the Democratic Party's strategy of flipping Arizona blue. At the time, The party had no presidential candidate to really rally behind, so they had to implement a plan that would work no matter who was the nominee.
1: In February, we spoke with Tom Perez, the chairman of the Democratic National Committee, and here's what he had to say about the party's plan in Arizona.
0: And I firmly believe that we can not only win the presidency here, and we only lost by three and a half points four years ago, and frankly,
1: we underinvested. Democrats started the year with high hopes for a Democratic win in the state. Yvonne, how did their strategy hold up as we look at it now that the dust is starting to settle?
0: Well, at least from the statewide big top tier races, the strategy worked. Joe Biden, the Democratic nominee, Won the state and its 11 electoral votes, as we said, by a very slim margin. As of this recording, about 11,000 votes stand between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. On another level, when it comes to the U.S. Senate race, Democrats flipped a second seat into their ledger. Republican Martha McSally, who was appointed to the Senate seat uh, that John McCain once held, was defeated by Democrat Mark Kelly. And like cinema before him and former Senator Dennis DeConcini before her, he really used a strategy that cast him as a virtually apolitical sort of candidate who could appeal to Democrats, to Republicans, and almost as importantly, or just as importantly, to independents. He was able to flip that seat giving democrats this cycle a very rare pickup which helps narrow their margins in the chamber so if you were listening to the gaggle over the past year or so you knew what this strategy was we've been signaling this to you for uh some time now you knew um that uh these candidates were really trying to appeal to people in the middle to undecideds to new voters with a message about issues, namely healthcare and the Affordable Care Act, and responsible management of the coronavirus pandemic, so you knew at least if you were listening that Biden and Mark Kelly stood a very good chance of winning those seats. So, hopefully, if you're a longtime listener, you won't you weren't thrown off guard by uh, the results of those two uh, seats. And if you're a new uh, listener, welcome to the conversation.
1: At the same time, if you were listening to what Republicans were talking about throughout the year, it was all about turnout. This was about the ground game that they had been planning for for years. They had a pretty elaborate plan of where to go, what people to reach out to, and how they intended to do that, and that they had an idea, especially in the rural parts of Arizona, to maximize turnout of people who are conservative by nature and specifically like President Trump. And that kept them within very, very close range of being able to win at the presidential level, but it showed surprising effects at the sub-presidential level. Uh, They were able to hang on to David Schweikert's seat in Congress, and they also were able to hold serve in the state legislature as well. This has been something that is almost certainly an outgrowth of their very uh, neighborhood intensive ground game that they've been talking about for a long, long time. And you heard it here on The Gaggle.
0: Recent reporting from our colleague, Rafael Carranza, showed that Latino voter engagement groups like Mi Familia Vota and others made more than eight million calls to potential voters. They knocked on more than a million doors leading up to the November election. Ron, give us a sense at how 10 years following the passage of Senate Bill 1070 really sort of changed the trajectory of the people who make up some of these efforts and more broadly of Arizona's politics.
1: Yeah, so this is something that the gaggle sort of unpacked in a special five-part series on rediscovering SB 1070. We still recommend it very highly, especially episode five, if you're pressed for time. Basically, this is the story of a generation of immigrants and of people who are Latino, who had seen themselves sort of under siege by uh, especially Republicans in the legislature, through a series of uh, bills and of propositions that sort of whittled away their standing in Arizona. Just their their right to be here felt like it was under attack. They They profess throughout this, not to hate us. They profess throughout this to be our friends. They profess throughout this to be our allies and stand with us, and they nonetheless, took these actions or allowed these actions to occur uh, without uh, without much of a battle, without much of a fight. And we saw really kind of beginning in 2016 with the ouster of Maricopa County Sheriff Joe Arpaio, and later with the election of Kirsten Sinema to the United States Senate, that this community was starting to play an elective impact in Arizona that really set the table for what was going to happen in 2020, that these voters, these newly empowered uh, folks were really kind of poised to help make a really big difference in how this state could go in 2020. And because of the hyper-partisan nature of Senate Bill 1070, that's Arizona's immigration enforcement law from 2010, It really helped drive up the numbers of Democratic-leaning Hispanic voters in 2020. Yvonne, how important were they ultimately in helping determine how this state voted in this year's elections?
0: So in a race that both campaigns broadly agreed would be determined on the margins, no matter what the polling says, the -the behind-the-scenes conversations that you and I were having with the people who knew these races best agreed that any effort mattered. So this effort and the various efforts to pick up uh, votes from minorities on both sides made a huge difference. Uh, It Helped mean the difference between eleven electoral votes for Joe Biden or eleven electoral votes for Donald Trump. Now we're going to see a lot of people laying claim to this victory, including many of the people who were involved in these voter registration and turnout efforts. I don't know that it's fair necessarily that any one specific person or group or effort um, can take all the credit for all this. It it really um, was determined by various efforts among various groups uh, that helped you know put the 11,000 or so margin between the two candidates. But certainly these efforts mattered. They will continue to matter. in a purple state like ours where um, we see election cycles every couple of years or so, you're going to see continued engagement, continued activism among a lot of these groups. They're not going away anytime soon.
1: Okay, so one subject that really seemed to be uh, an important uh, part of this 2020 equation this year was something that you had mentioned, Yvonne, back in the spring and something that we've been talking about and writing about ever since. And that is the importance of seniors. Um, Talk a bit about the role that that segment of the electorate played in this election.
0: The pandemic really coincided with the strategy that a lot of Democrats were using um, all the way back from 2010 to 2018 to 2020, where they were staying very intensely focused on the message of healthcare and insurance coverage for people with pre-existing medical conditions. Uh, The Affordable Care Act was passed by Democrats, signed into law by President Barack Obama, and has been, you know, really a main target of Republicans who have wanted to undo it. We all remember Senator John McCain delivering the final blow to President Trump's efforts to try to repeal that law. Democrats tried to make that a referendum on Trump and Republicans here in Arizona and across the nation. Uh, The COVID crisis uh, really brought to the forefront everyone's focus on the Affordable Care Act, on healthcare issues, and you know, really sort of leaving a lot of seniors and a lot of middle-aged people really to wonder. If I contract COVID nineteen and I get deathly ill, or I'm left, you know, with some sort of lingering health problem, will my insurance cover me? What might my life look like? So this brought into focus more than any other time over the last decade what was at stake uh, on the on the healthcare issue and seniors, very specifically. We're worried about this, as were um, a lot of uh, low-income seniors, people who you know have been struggling to pay uh, their prescription medication bills, people who have been locked away, unable to see their grandchildren, their grown children, people who have experienced their friends and their loved ones dying because of COVID-19, people who couldn't go on vacation People who have retired from their jobs after working decades and putting in so much work thinking that they were going to be able to retire and live the sort of life free of a work schedule, free of a nine to five job, all of a sudden they're in complete lockdown mode. And it's clear that in a state like Arizona that is home to so many retirees, any hemorrhaging, any loss of votes among older, high efficacy voting seniors could spell a disaster. And that is what helped Joe Biden take the state. Ron, one of the other familiar themes that uh, I think will be relevant once we pluck through all this data is that. Thousands of people, more than 30,000 people, withheld their votes in the presidential race. They declined to vote for either Trump or Biden, and uh, yet, yet they cast their votes in some of these other down-ticket ballots, particularly for people who live out in the suburbs, which is a key uh, constituency for all of these campaigns. What do those figures, what do those results suggest about what voters were thinking and how they were feeling about the presidential race and the local races?
1: So there's at least some evidence that folks in the periphery of the valley did not cast votes. And it may be that they were essentially casting a moral judgment against President Trump. This is something that's in line with what you had reported, Yvonne, and was actually part of uh, at least one of these visits uh, that we saw from Mike Pence. The vice president came to the Valley to speak to Mormons and to try and make the case to folks who are faith-based voters that this is an administration they need to get behind because this is something where they have mostly common ground, especially on judicial nominees, and that this ticket deserved their continued Republican support. And instead, what we saw is not so much votes for Donald Trump as much as no votes at all, which was helpful to Vice President Joe Biden.
0: Yeah, and what we heard from these voters when we talked to them was really a rejection of the style of uh, rhetoric and politics that Trump and Pence um, played during their first and only tenure, particularly on the issue of um, immigration and of separating uh, children from their parents, uh, from their immigrant parents. And um, for many of these families, many of these suburban women in particular, that was something that they just could not get past. These are mothers, these are grandmothers, these are mothers in waiting. And, uh, you know, they just could not ever see him coming back from that. And even if they were, you know, pro-life, particularly people who were pro-life that we spoke with on this um, issue, said that is not just, you know, in the womb. That means we take care of the vulnerable. We take care of people outside of the womb. This goes beyond the issue of abortion. This is about caring for the most vulnerable. And so, um, you know, even if... Uh, The president was offering um, maybe a more conciliatory tone towards immigrants and Hispanic voters as he tried to woo them Uh, at the end of this campaign. He had already lost them uh, with with many of these voters.
1: Well, one person who did not get any conciliatory tone was Senator John McCain. And this is one other thing that we had talked about on The Gaggle that it bears some exploration here President Trump maintained his feud with John McCain even after the senator's death in 2018. This is something that is especially hazardous in a state like Arizona, where Senator McCain enjoyed uh, pretty significant support, especially all the way to the end. This is a man who won 10 elections in Arizona, never lost one here, and was beloved, especially at, at the time of his passing. Um, Yvonne, what did he mean in Arizona and why did this cost the president uh, so so dearly?
0: So McCain was despised by the far right, accepted by the middle and uh, beloved, really, by the middle. And, you know, sort of despised by the left until the end of his... Uh, sixth term in the U.S. Senate after one of his last acts in Congress was being the decisive vote to save the Affordable Care Act. The McCain family has had a obviously strained relationship with the Trump administration. The president began disparaging uh, McCain, who was a prisoner of war for five and a half years after his plane was shot down in North Vietnam. Uh, started disparaging him in 2015 after McCain spoke out about his uh, rhetoric towards uh, immigrants to this country. And their relationship was pretty ice cold up until the end. Um, Cindy McCain, who is the wife of the late senator, appeared in um, a pretty emotional video during the Democratic National Convention where she fell short of endorsing Biden, but (laughs) really played up his relationship with her husband and how they worked across the aisle. They put party um, allegiances aside to work on behalf of the American people. And later, she ended up in endorsing Joe Biden and really sort of rejecting the sort of um, Rhetoric that and policies that uh, were really coming out of the Trump administration. One of the things that really tipped her over the edge was reading the Atlantic's reporting in which they really detailed, uh, using anonymous sources, the president's disparagement towards um Veterans and prisoners of war. The Trump uh, administration and the president himself said that that reporting wasn't accurate, but certainly it weighed on the mind of, uh, of Cindy McCain, who came out and uh, said she was voting for Joe Biden and she hoped that others would follow, particularly conservative women. And she's pretty convinced that um, she played a role in defeating Trump in Arizona.
1: Yeah. And I think that the thing, again, to reiterate here is that in a narrow, narrow margin, like what we just saw in the presidential race, the impact of any of these kinds of special niche groups and constituencies matters a lot. And uh, the idea that there are a few thousand people scattered across Arizona who may be conservative or lean that way, but really kind of appalled at the president's Continued hostility toward John McCain, that doesn't seem especially far-fetched. And again, it was something that we talked about on the gaggle uh, multiple times over the last few years, that this feud had lingered, and as it turns out, it may have helped play a role in the way that the state eventually played out.
0: All right, listeners, let's dive into some afterthoughts. One of the things that I think is interesting to the both of us is trying to, you know, assess the the damage and the successes and try to figure out where the parties go from here. I don't know. You, you want to take a stab at it?
1: <laughs> yeah. I'll, so I'll, I'll get started on this, but, uh, full disclosure listeners, this is something we're going to explore quite a bit over the next year. So I'll, I'll start with the Republican party. Um, this was, An election that was supposed to be a disaster in waiting for the GOP. They were told repeatedly that the state could fall to Democrat Joe Biden, that Mark Kelly was predestined to defeat Martha McSally. And yes, those two things did happen ultimately. But the presumed carnage below that that was supposed to help sweep Republicans out of control at the state legislature, that would have taken away another seat in the congressional delegation for them, that didn't happen. And I think that what we see is an energized Republican Party, at least in some places, saying, you know, maybe the problem was we weren't conservative enough, or we just needed a little bit of an extra push. Certainly they can say, well, if not for the pandemic, things might have turned out even more favorably for them up and down the ticket. So what we have is a a Republican Party that is really still as divided as ever in some ways in trying to figure out what is the course moving forward. You have, in the one hand, the Kelly Ward faction of the party that is very conservative And uh, sort of unreconstructed in their conservatism. They want to continue to press for social conservative issues. They don't want to yield on things like gun control. And they also are uh, committed to uh, certain um, fiscal policies, whether it's tax cuts or light regulation or other uh, types of um, conservative dogma that they're not in an accommodating mood. They want to continue to press the state in that direction and think that they will have success doing just that. On the other hand, we see sort of that Doug Ducey, more conventional establishment Republican party that had, um, had certainly a good run of success in 2014 with his initial election and again in 2018 with his message resounding with Arizona voters in his reelection. But this sort of idea that the Republican Party needs to soften the edges maybe or or find some uh, third way with independence, um, that message is really going to find a pretty hostile reception, I'm guessing, with Republicans. Uh, but they run the risk of perhaps overshooting on this. Um, it is It is at least a possibility that Republicans could reach for somebody who is once again too conservative in the mold of Kelly Ward or Joe Arpaio in recent runs and find themselves on the outside looking in. So Yvonne, what is the the challenge for Democrats as we sort of take stock of what 2020 meant to them?
0: Look, I'm going to be the party pooper for the Democrats here. And, uh, yeah, they had some big wins in two big races, um, as we kind of predicted and forecasted they would have, but they lost the Maricopa County attorney's race. They lost the county recorder's race. They did not, uh, they do not control any state house chamber and, you know, they're bracing for a pretty brutal 2022, 2024, and cycles on out. I mean, even as they're celebrating these two big wins, they know that this is not going to last. The demographic changes that continue to take place in this state, transplants coming from more liberal states, growth of Latino voters, um, the rise of people kind of moving to the suburbs uh, and being disgusted or repulsed by President Trump's style of politics, you know, that isn't going to just save them. They need to overperform with independents. They need to make enormous gains when it comes to registering democratic Voters. And until that happens, they are going to still be playing a game of defense instead of a game of offense. And if the ultimate goal is to flip this entire state blue, they have a lot of work to do. They're going to continue to get a lot of pressure from the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. Some of these members have already condemned Senator Cinema for being uh, too moderate for voting to accept. The uh, controversial nominees of uh, the, the President Trump has put up. Mark Kelly is going to face the same sort of pressure, and uh, you know this is a loud and noisy and passionate wing of the party. These are the people who support AOC. These are people who want um, passionate candidates who will stand up for the principles that they care about, not the sort of candidates who go to Washington D.C. and try to work across the aisle, try to find compromise. This is a group of people who don't want compromise. They want their policies enacted and they want people to go there to do that for them. And so I, I think that Democrats are going to continue to face a lot of pressure from you know their left wing of the party. It's clear that Cinema Mark Kelly, And uh, Joe Biden, understand what it takes to win a state like Arizona. It's essentially making yourself apolitical. It is talking about the issues and it's talking about compromise. We'll see what that looks like two years from now. Mark Kelly is already going to have to start running again for his um, seat in 2022. Um, cinema will be up for re-election in 2024 and, uh, you know, it'll be a wild ride and, uh, we'll be there to, to cover it hopefully (laughs) through and through. But for now, that is it for today. While we still have you, please don't forget to rate and review our show, The Gaggle, and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget.
1: And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N.
0: Today's episode was edited and produced by Maritza Dominguez with help from Taylor Seely and oversight from Katie O'Connell. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle. It has been a wild year, two years, and... It is one of the biggest uh, joys of my reporting life. And I know Ron and Maritza share my passion and enthusiasm for this podcast. We are part of the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com.
1: And we'll see you next week.